Welcome to the Red Half of Sheffield, a Sheffield United podcast by two Yank Blades fans. My name is Noah Snyder, and I am joined, as always, by Chad Jarvis. How are you today, Chad? I'm very celebratory right now. Um, I like that game today. It was it was good. It, it just felt different, and in, in, it was good to see us get a clean sheet, but yeah, I feel really happy right now. I mean, I don't feel drab and like, man, this was another loss. But no, it was a win. I'm happy. Yeah, it feels so good to beat Villa, and especially in the fashion that we did after going down to 10 men. You know, I read Roy's view from almost before every single game. And after some of the comments that I read from the Villa supporters, you know, coupled with the series of bad decisions that have come against Villa. And look, this game was was no exception to that rule as far as getting bad calls when we play Villa. But it just felt so good to get that sort of revenge win over Villa, especially after the Hawkeye debacle, the Egan sending off. I mean, it seems like it's been one series of unfortunate events after another when we've played Villa in the league the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, even going back to the three, three, when we had, we were clear out of sight, Billy had the hat track and then we just let the wheels fall off and they come storming back. But I forgot about the Egan red card deal at the beginning of the season. I, it totally blanked my mind. Like the reverse fixture, I could not remember what the scoreline was. And then I was listening to the commentary today, and they said the score was 1-0, and then that was the game that the – that he, because that was when uh, Lundstrom got the penalty save. Yep. Martinez saved the penalty, right. remember? And then and then it led to inevitably a loss. But it was just like, man, that, that feels like years ago. Yep. Well – I think time has just been dilated under the conditions that we've been living under. But I have to say, both doing this podcast and watching Sheffield United have made the passing of time at least somewhat enjoyable, as dismal of a season as it's been. I'm still so blessed. I feel so blessed to be able to watch the games and to do this podcast with you, Chad. So cheers. So let's just jump into our 1-0 victory against Villa here. From the outset of the match, you could tell something was a little different. You know, our passes seemed more crisp, tight. We were able to find space. The only thing that we couldn't get going through the first 27, 28 minutes of the game was that final pass in the final third. And that's pretty much par for the course for Sheffield United this season. You have to feel, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I kept listening to the game and it was like, man, we are just we're we're doing good. They had a little bit of more possession, but I felt like we had a good foothold in the game. You just had a feeling and like you said, we were just lacking in the final third like we've had all season. But, you know, it it finally worked out on whatever the goal was, a pass or a cross or whatever it was or a shot or I have no idea. Definitely. And at least for the first 11 minutes there, it was really like a feeling out process, you know, back and forth, relatively free flowing, but no real chances. Then, as I said, in the 11th minute, the first real chance came from John McGinn Villa, who took a header in the box from Triori. He had a clear side of goal, but he booted it just to the left of goal. It was a defensive breakdown on Keen Bryan's side, but thankfully, we were let off. 
every I mean, Keem Bryan has been slagged off in the last couple of weeks saying, hey, he's just a is he just a league one defender or a bottom half championship defender? And the dude played his ass off today. I mean, him and Ramsdale, they were like in almost like a lockstep formation. And it's one, it's almost like he's another piece we're putting to the puzzle and he's kind of fitting in there. We might have to hammer some of the edges out and cut them and shape them up a little bit. But I like as he gets more familiar, familiarized, with Ramsdale back there. And I mean, he's played enough, so he should knows know his in and outs. He's turning into a good defender, not necessarily a starter, not, no, not, not a starter for us, but I mean, a, a decent backup at least. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that, on that front, Chad. I think that if you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, is Keen Bryan gonna turn out to be a halfway decent defender for us? I'd say you're out of your mind. Guy does, yeah. didn't even really play championship football. What, what yeah, I you think he's going to be decent in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I would have been like, uh, don't we have anybody else to replace whoever's out besides him? Because I'm not sure he's going to get the job done. But, I mean, he's he's proved us wrong, you know? Yeah, and gotten invaluable experience. He has. So Sheffield United's first chance came in the 16th minute off of a corner that had gone long. Stevens got on it and he put a cross looking for Brewster who headed it to McGoldrick who boots it off a Villa defender and out for a corner and nothing came from that ensuing corner. Then in the 19th minute, Ramsdale forced to make a save on El Ghazi, who got a ball in from Ollie Watkins. He covered the ball after not catching it cleanly, but Let's talk a little bit about Ramsdale, whose form continues to just be excellent, in my in my humble opinion. Impressive, man. I mean, another great outing. He's now he's doing it not only against the, the top sides, but I mean Villa's in the top half, but he's doing it against like every single team. We're not having to say, like, okay, one game's good and one game's bad. Now he's stringing multiple games together, and it's impressive. And we're seeing why we went out and bought him and why we didn't bring Dino back in on loan. And Wilder's like, okay, I trust in this kid. Just let him work out the kinks in his game. And once he gets it righted, he's going to be, he's turning out to be good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he is more than a serviceable championship goalkeeper. And he could develop into a good Premier League goalkeeper if we're lucky enough to come back up in the next couple of years after we're relegated. I think he could be a huge boon for us as he builds confidence moving forward. And mm -hmm. who knows, maybe what he needs is a year in the championship to continue to build that confidence. I know we've kind of said that about a lot of players over the last couple of podcasts, but I just really believe that that's the truth of the matter for a number of our players, especially the younger ones who maybe haven't quite found their form this year. I'm thinking about Brewster. I'm thinking about a guy like Max Lowe. I'm thinking about Ollie Burke. You know, those are players who I feel have availed themselves all right, not great, but once they get to the championship and the quality of play is a little bit more at level, I think they could continue to build confidence. And if we can, like I said, if we can climb our way back up to the Premier League in the next year or two or three, 
um, they could avail themselves to be good Premier League players. Yeah, and to piggyback your your comments with all the younger players, it's starting to get on my nerves. And I guess it's just started to come to a head recently. I'm just tired of everybody slagging Brewster off. And I know we paid X amount of dollars for him from Liverpool and all this. And they always attach his name and the price tag. And he's not getting goals and all that stuff. But it's not like when he was at Liverpool, he was in their starting 11 that won the league last year and banged in 40 goals in the league. The dude went out on loan and played, as you mentioned, championship caliber talent at Swansea and lit the league up. Now, coming into something that he has never adapted to and never played with, he's going to struggle, of course. But we also have to give him the amount of time because today, granted, the red card came in in the 57th minute, so he only played an hour. He probably would have been in there for the entire match. He probably would have played the full 90. Let's give him some chances instead of one in every, like, eight matches or nine matches. Put him in for – you know, the next three, put them in for Southampton, put them in for Leicester. And then after the international break, put them in again or put them in for the cup against Chelsea. See what he does. You know, I'm just I just get sick and tired of the, the North American media over here. Just slag him off. And it's even over in England, too, because you have these these pundits that play for these big sides and scored 500 goals in the league. And they just they just say, well, why is he not scoring in they only want to talk about the big teams and they don't they don't they could care less about us a smaller clubs. I guess it's me ranting about Brewster and us being a, a small club, but I'm sick and tired of hearing about how he doesn't score goals. The kid's what 20 years old? Give him a break, man. Come on. Where were most of these players at 20 years old? They weren't they were still in a youth academy or they were they were just getting their feet on the ground in in the championship or a league one side. Come on. Well, I, I just want to contest one thing you said. I agree with most of it. I don't think Sheffield United are a small club. I think they are a smaller club for the premier league. Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, you look at our history. I mean, we were a proper massive club at one point, but And I think, I mean, as evidenced by the last couple of seasons, and you look at parks like you, you look at, you look at um, clubs like Burnley and Brighton Hove Albion. And I granted, we haven't seen their stadiums filled in the last year or so, but I always felt like they were proper smaller clubs in the premier league, but moving on to, on to your point about Brewster, we didn't pay the 26 or 29 million quid for Brewster based on what he is. We paid it and granted it's somewhat of a gamble for what he could be in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the bet is. And at risk of repeating myself here, I think that the opportunities will come in the championship for him. He's already proven himself in the championship and I really think that it's circumstantial, the reason why he struggled this year. You have to figure if he'd gone out on loan to a championship side or, you know, from Sheffield United earlier in the season that maybe he would have done a little bit more bossing it and 
might have might have continued to build that confidence and then maybe we could have brought him back but we brought him in and the purpose was to try to increase our scoring which obviously lacked we didn't score a goal until what our fourth game in the league this year or fifth game in the league yeah i mean that's insane so yeah i i i there was a lot of pressure put on him from day one next year. I don't think the pressure will be on as much and certainly going forward the rest of the season here in the prem with us certain to be relegated. I don't think the pressure will be on him as much. He had a good shot on net. He did. It was a good shot that he took. Yeah. And you know, he, he had a couple of good balls that he played to McGoldrick throughout the game uh, until he was subbed off. I don't think he had a god-awful game he just had to be subbed off when he was subbed off so we could change formation after the red card that that was that's the only reason as you as you kind of alluded to yep so in the 25th minute ollie watkins headed a ball to triori who headed the ball over the crossbar it was close again from villa there and then and then (laughs) 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 in the 30th minute McGoldrick crossed the ball over to Baldock on the right-hand side. It was a perfect foot-to-foot pass. Baldock takes it really well, dribbles into the box, and puts a ball that deceptively looked like a shot. We kind of already talked about that a little bit, but McGoldrick gets on the end of it. He roofs it while falling down, and Sheffield United go up 1-0 on Aston Villa after being on the back foot, I'd say for a good percentage of the game. It was more even than a lot of games have been this season, but you felt like Villa had the majority of the chances to that point. It was actually our first shot on target. So, yeah, regardless of whether it was a shot or not, brilliant from Balduck, and you can't discount McGoldrick on that play, both starting and finishing it. It was one of those deals, like you alluded to. It was it a was it a pass or was it a cross or was it a shot? I and I didn't see it live. I listened to it on the radio, and and so I didn't know what it what the commentators made it seem a, a shot that was going wide. McGoldrick ran ran and scooped and and scored it. But when when I actually got to see it live, I was like, wow, that was a good. It was almost like. Like they were on a telepathic mind deal, and Baldock was like, "Run!" And then he put the ball in, and McGoldrick's like, "Okay, I'm gonna score this," and he scored it. And it's like, "Wow, that's crazy!" I mean, it was a good goal. And one thing too, it seems like McGoldrick scores almost every every single game for us. And I think the guy's got like only he's only got like six goals in the Prem, and then he's got like one in the Cup. But it seems like he's got like 25 goals this year. Yeah, well, he has been our main scoring threat. And who would have thought that after the year that he had last year? It was like almost a joke, you know? When is McGoldrick going to score? That's That was the thought last year. And he didn't score until, what, the 32nd or 33rd game of the year? Yeah. (laughs) So, and here he's scored early. And I don't want to say scored often, but scored more than any other striker that we've that we've put out there so yeah i i don't think you can go wrong with putting mcgoldrick out there for the rest of the season as top striker and then just for the love of god pair him with one of the young kids either ollie burke or or brewster because next year either brewster or burke they're going to be starting almost every single game you feel 
Yeah, with the amount of fixtures we're going to face next year, we're, we're going to play 46 games. Yep. So we're already going to play eight more games than than the the prem now. If you don't, and then if you count the champion or if you count the playoffs, there's possibly two legs, and then you get to a final. So I mean, there's there's possibly 49 games that we could play, and then the cup. Yeah, and then the cup. If we make if we do anything in the league cup, and then the FA Cup. So it's right. just one of those crazy things. We can't rely on Digi's old body for that amount of games next year. So this is another thing, as you alluded to, we have to bring in the youth and bring in the kids, man. Yep. I'm with you wholeheartedly there, Chad. Well, Villa did not lay down after that goal. You might have liked them to, but they did not. In the 34th minute, Traore got a ball on the edge of the box. He managed to dance his way through our defense. He Seriously, he... He beat three or four of our defenders and he took a shot that just went left of goal. And that was one of the most dangerous moments I'd say in the first half for Villa. Yeah. It was like, who who had one of those knifing runs to our defense a couple of games ago? I can't remember who it was, but it was similar to that run that Triore did. I mean, he just, it's like everybody was ball watching and just, he was left, right, round circle, up, down, triangle, jump hurdle, stiff arm. I mean, he was doing everything out there, and he got through, and was like, okay, if that's how soft our defense is going to play, we're going to give up a goal, and they're going to equalize. Well, it's funny that you say that because going into the the halftime, that was my thought. My thought was, when are we going to concede? You know, half expecting it really quickly. I just want to touch on that moment from Brewster and which happened in the 40th minute. Fleck took the ball down the left hand side. He found uh, the late man Brewster who took a shot, but it was always going to be saved by Martinez. And from that point, we went into the half. So, yeah, I I, I was convinced in the second half we were going to concede just based on the way that Villa were playing to that point. And obviously following that god awful VAR decision sending off Jagielka, you I really thought we were going to concede from that point. But boy, our defense was just so above average in this game. I mean, we looked like the Sheffield United of the 2019-2020 season because those were exactly the kind of games that we'd play. We'd get our goal and then park the bus, it seemed, you know? Yeah, and, and you said it right, too. You know, we've tabbed this defensive back line as average since everybody's missing. And, you know, we're going to have to deal with this average back line for probably the rest of the season. I mean, we might plug in a couple pieces here and there, but we're not going to have the back three that we're normally used to. And for them to step up, I mean, the sky's the limit now. I mean, hell, who's to say we don't – put a couple of clean sheets together with these games we have coming up and you never know that their confidence could be, especially with this type of game where they were able to see it out with 10 men, their confidence has to be through the roof now to be like, all right, let's go. Let's go to the next one. Well, we'll talk about upcoming games in a little bit here, just getting into, you know, the most controversial moment of the game one of the worst VAR decisions I've seen uh, like in any game. And I've watched a lot of premier league football in the last few years, but um, that, 
that tackle that Jag Yelka made on El Ghazi was uh, cynical. It was it was a hard foul. It was not a good foul. But to call that a straight red, considering that the straight wet red was predicated upon Jagielka being allegedly the last man back, I think it is insane. You because Keen Bryan was closer to goal than Jagielka was. They weren't on yeah. the line. They weren't. I mean, if you're if you're going to put up the the line, you know, the lines that they normally utilize for offsides to determine if Keen Bryan could have made a play on the ball, absolutely he could have. He he was five or six yards ahead of Jagielka heading back towards our goal. So yeah. should mm. not have, should not have been a red should not have been a straight red. It's one of those situations where, as you just said, when you look at the replay and they slow it down, you can clearly see that Keen Bryan is heading back to goal and he has all that room between him and Jags. So El Ghazi's probably going to get a shot on goal, but for certain, Keen Bryan's going to run to track him down and close him down, and Ramsdale's going to come out, and yeah, he'll have a shot. But it's not like Jags taking him out was like he. It was just Jags in Ramsdale, and then the goal. That no, that's I don't know what they were because I don't know what they were thinking because when they they said they were going to the monitor, I said, "Dude, he's off." Because I believe I texted you. I said, "Well, we're about to be down to ten men." Because they're going to send him off. And it's just like, what are we doing here? It's so fucking inconsistent, okay? Yeah. It is fucking inconsistent. And another thing. You you compare this moment in this game to David Luiz's foul on Ollie Burke earlier in the season. It's so fucking inconsistent. It is horse shit. Because Ollie Burke was, the, was in. He was absolutely in. And... Uh, David Luiz pulled back on his shirt. There's just so much inconsistency with how they 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 call these uh, red, you know, something a red card or a yellow card. It's the same play. It's virtually the same play. Yeah, and even with the the Lundstrom tackle against Brighton, I think there was a game amongst the top six a couple of weeks ago where the same tackle came in, but it was a high profile player. The same way Lundstrom did it, and they called it nothing. I think I don't even think they flashed a yellow. And it's like, is it this big six bias to where we've got to make these big six teams look like they're so great and so superior to every other team in the league? I mean, I'll just take playing in the championship forever if we don't have to deal with this shit to where, granted, we're down. It makes no, it makes no difference, this outcome in this game. But now we lose him for the next three games because if the chances are that we appeal it and the FA is going to re- rescind it and turn it to back to a yellow card, I get that, but that's too many hoops to go through. They're just going to say it stands and it's going to be a red card and he's, we're going to miss him for three games. Now that hurt. Now that puts us behind the eight ball even further because right. we're so light in defense. Who are we going to plug in for Jags in, in in that game? So it just it's so frustrating that we have been taken advantage of so much this year by VAR in we haven't even reaped that many benefits. I can think of like two or three opportunities where we've been, we've came out actually on the good side of it. And it was, I think one of the times was very controversial that we got the penalty. I think, I think back to the Liverpool game when we got the, the first goal was a penalty because it, it hit the, his, it hit the defender's hand 
and he didn't even know about it, and they called it a handball. It's just, it's so it, fucked, man. It's a, it's a flawed system, and they're never going to figure it out. Either in that situation with Jags, they should have either said, stayed with the, the official, the, the head referee's decision was a yellow card, or it, it's nothing. Don't call down to it. And then how about when he when he gave him the red card? It was a circle card. It wasn't even or it wasn't even a square card. I've never seen that before. I I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it was a circle card. It was a red circle. It's like, hold on, these are primary league officials, and we can't get the same shape in the cards. Yeah, yeah. if you look at the picture, he's flashing Jags the red card, and it's a red circle. Interesting. Didn't even didn't even notice that. You think that there would be uniformity? I mean, do all of these referees have their own set of cards? Probably. They probably they probably take out a like a deck of a uh, deck of playing cards, and somebody just at home got red tape and just goes around it, and he's like, "Okay, this makes a really good red card." <laughs> and all it is is they're playing with jacks and kings and queens and sevens and stuff like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, too funny. Too funny. So in the 58th minute, Villa had a free kick from outside the box. El Ghazi took it, and Ramsdale made a very fine save. Again, can't speak highly enough about Ramsdale's performance in this game. Uh, Super satisfied with, with how he availed himself. In the 67th minute, McGinn got a shot inside the box that Ampadu put out a play before Ramsdale was forced to make a save. I think it took like a little deflection, and then Ampadu... Uh, put it out, but good last-ditch defending from Ampadu there. And then on the ensuing corner, Mings got ahead on it, but put it out of play. In the 77th minute, that was arguably the best chance of the game for Villa as McGinn puts in a cross looking for Watkins, who headed it down, and then Triori had another chance, but Keen Bryan was able to clear it out at the last second. So I really our back line, Amp- Ampadu and Keen Bryan, boy, they were solid, yeah. especially yeah. when after Jags got sent off, they were super solid in this game. Ampadu is an unsung hero. Everybody's talking about how good Keen Bryan was today. I mean, Ampadu played stellar and he's he's almost kind of falling back, you know, and all the other players are taking all the credit and Ampadu's just putting in shift after shift after shift. And he's just being methodical. You know, he's not having too many mistakes, except for that pop fly ball he gave to Alexander Arnold last week against Liverpool. But other than that, I mean, he's been he's been good. You know, we haven't had to say, well, Ampadu fucked up and, and we conceded a goal. He, he's been he's been workmanlike. Yeah. Very, very consistent in the last few games. Very, very consistent. In the 86th minute, a ball looking for Barkley was saved by Ramsdale. In the 90th minute, Keenan Davis got it to El Ghazi, who crossed the ball on the ground looking for Davis, but Fleck made a clearance there. Really good stuff from Fleck as well. I I didn't hear enough about him. I thought he performed really well tonight. And on the ensuing corner, Ramsdale made one of his greatest saves of the game and definitely a top 10 save of the season at point blank range on Kansa and Norwood cleared it out. Norwood again also played pretty well tonight. He didn't factor as much on the offensive side. He wasn't putting in, you know, amazing balls like he did in uh, that Liverpool game, but he's gotten better and better 
in yep. the past few games. And I, I, it's nice not to be criticizing Norwood, you know? I mean, you no, know, I, I love to hate on him. And yeah, the past couple of games, he, uh, I guess I'll say he's played okay. I mean, I can't slag him off. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything to like be very bad and hurt the team like he was doing five, six, seven games ago where he's just giving the ball to the other team and saying, here, have a shot on, on target. But he's yeah his his consistency has has gotten better over two games. Let's see if we can make it three and four. I'd be happy to see if he gets on a little bit of momentum as we run into the end of the season here. Definitely. So we went into stoppage time, and Villa did absolutely nothing with the stoppage time. Full time is called. Sheffield United get a well deserved win, and I have to say, you called it, Chad. You said one nil. I did. And I, I said, had confidence. I said uh, nil one, so you know Nostradamus Chad strikes again. Yeah, right. What is that? One game out of the entire season? What do we play? No, like twenty six games. You've had a few. You, I will say this: you you've had a few where you haven't succeeded as much as in calling the lineup for for the following game. Yeah, right. That's why you've struggled <laughs> a little bit more. You had yeah, a, yeah. I mean, to be to be fair. Uh, to be fair. To be fair. Well, to be fair. I haven't. I haven't gotten one right in a while either. Yeah, we haven't. We're not very good on that. I mean, it's it's so hard because it keeps switching. But today, if you would have just – I mean, we don't know what striking pair we're going to get because that's like every game, those are – that's probably the only position that changes. Yep. Now Jags being out, that's going to be the only other position. They're right. probably going to swap the strikers in, the def- in one defender. Everybody else is going to play. Yep, yep. So, Chad, who was your man of the match in our game against Aston Villa? Since I like goal scorers, I'm going with Ditsy again. I mean, he got our only goal in from what we created, which was not much. And then he gets that shot going wide and, and puts it in. So I'll give it to Ditsy. But, I mean, it's close with Rammers, too. Rammers played phenomenal, man. I'm going to say Keen Bryan was my man of the match. I We've given it to Rammers like every single game the last yeah. few games. So I'm going to spotlight someone else. I thought Keen Bryan had a really, really good game defensively, as I've said, uh, especially after Jagielka was sent off and we moved to a, a, a back four. He just played nail down defense. I mean, head and balls out of the box, great clearing a, a, attempts and... Yeah, I, I absolutely loved his play today. Looked like a proper Premier League center back. Yes. More, more of that, please. More of that, please. Yes. So, Chad, we have another game at the weekend. Southampton come to the lane for a 3 p.m. GMT start. And do you think this could be a winnable game? I mean, looking at Southampton's uh, run of form lately, they've been bad. They lost yep. Everton 1-0. They lost to Leeds 3-0. They drew Chelsea, which is their only point in their last five. And they also lost 2-1 to Wolves in the league. So their their last win came on February 11th against Wolves in the FA Cup. And, yeah, not scoring a ton of goals here. So yeah. could this be a game where we come in and actually get points off of Southampton, who absolutely thrashed us earlier in the season? Yeah, I mean, what a difference. Oh, wow, we played Southampton a long time time ago, too. 
I mean, that that Southampton was rolling, and now they are dropping like an absolute rock. I, th- I think they lost like nine games in a row in in the league at one point in like the last two months. I think there was a span where they had lost like nine games in a row. It's just their goals have dried up. I mean, they're not scoring anything. And he, when you look at the likes of Shea Adams and Danny Ings and, and even James Ward-Prowse, who is like masterful for free kicks, it's like, where have the goals gone? And they've just started to ship goals out the back. I mean, it, some of these games, like you said, 3-0 the Leeds. Southampton's a better team than Leeds, in my opinion. But obviously, those two teams are going in different directions right now. But it's just like they've forgotten how to f- defend. And, yeah. and so they've they've just started to drop like a rock. So, yeah, this is a very winnable game for us. It The only thing, it depends on... Who do we put in defense now? Right, right. Yeah, I was just going to touch on the fact that at one point, Southampton were number one in the league. for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only for a few weeks, maybe like one or two weeks. But at, at one point, you know, now they sit 14th in the league on 30 points yeah. with Burnley biting at their heels. And who would have thought they would have just dropped like a rock, you know? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I guess my my number one question for you, Chad, is do you think we're going to see Takumi Minamino in in this match? He has featured on in in their game since coming in on loan from Liverpool, and he's when he's been in the game, he scored the goal against the run of play again when they when they got the draw and you know, against Chelsea, and I think he scored on his debut. But since then, he's kind of been hit or miss. He really hasn't done much. Yeah. And when he came into the Southampton side, I was like, okay, Liverpool kind of let this guy go and he can score goals. And now, yeah, he's it, like I said, he's just hit or miss. Well, there's been some rumors that he's going to be moved over the summer abroad, not to another team in the Prem. So uh, who knows at this point, but that's something to watch out for. You pointed out Danny Ings hasn't been able to find the net as of recent. Same with James Ward-Prowse. Those are two of their top goal scorers, though, and we do need to watch out for them. Shea Adams as well. And has Vestergaard featured recently? He's He's been... Uh, don't quote me on this. I don't think he's been featured much in their side. He did play against Everton in their last game, and he also played uh, against Leeds as well. So I, I do think he has been playing relatively regularly. Yeah, he has featured regularly, but you know he's pretty good on their uh, for their back line. They they play that four four two typically, and which could you know, he, which could play into our hands. If we yeah. have to play a flat back four, yeah, that'd be a matchup of systems. It'll be a matchup of of systems if we're going to drop, if we're not going to play a back three and we put four back there, it could possibly work for us. That's the one thing that worries me in this game, just because we are so conditioned to play a three five two, you know, with the overlapping center backs. I just wonder, uh, can we adapt and play a four four two or yeah, a four three one two? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we're going to, if Wilder's going to change tactics for this upcoming game, or if we bring in somebody from the under 23s, somebody who, uh, you know, may have looked decent in, in, in fixtures that they've played this season. I, I don't know who you bring in to play that center center back position. 
Yeah, uh, I'm in. I'm in agreement with you. I'm scratching my head. I mean, Jackie Long throw could be an option, but we don't know if he's hurt, injured or not. So, or, or what his deal is because he hasn't featured in like the last. I mean, since the first of the year, he hasn't even. I don't think he's featured once for us. So, it's one of those deals. I mean, it might. It, knowing Wilder, he probably won't change the formation. He'll yeah. keep it the same, and he'll just make changes on the fly to where he thinks it who suited better back there. The other thing Wilder could do is he could slot Stevens into that uh, left center back position and throw Max Lowe into that left wing back position. Yeah, that would be an option. I, I To me, that, that sounds like probably what's most likely to happen. I don't really foresee Wilder bringing up some someone who's never had, uh, you know, a game in the Premier League. So... Mm-hmm. With that being said, I'll give you my lineup here. Ramsdale and Nett will go Stevens, Brian, and Ampadu on the back line. Max Lowe, Fleck, Norwood, Lundstrom, and Balduck. And up top, I'm going to go McGoldrick and Burke. McGoldrick suspended. Remember? Oh, that's right. That is right. He's out, so, he's out too. Right, right. We didn't mention the the yellow card that he picked up, and now he's out on accumulation of yellows. So uh, I will say McBurney and Burke. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. The only person I would change is I'd throw Brewster in there and I'd throw McBurney in there. That's my my front two. Because we might not even make three subs in this game, to be honest with you. Unless we are just going to put on striking players. Yeah. Because, That's- I mean, Ben Osborne's going to – will probably make an appearance. Mm. Max Lowe, maybe. Well, I have low uh, starting, so. Oof. Yeah. I honestly don't know if we're going to make even three subs in this game. Yeah. I mean, you look you look at who was named to the bench in, in today's game. You had McBurney who came in, Billy Sharp, Mousset. Max Lowe, Ollie Burke, Fodderingham, Osborne, Frankie McGuire, and I hope I'm saying this right, Ilaman Nadaye. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. From the under 23s. So, yeah. That's, that is a rough looking bench. And I yeah. mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just you often look to your bench for, spark and you you just don't see anything there and hopefully maybe Jaden Bogle is able to like be fit enough to just be named on the bench and not come in to like give us some hope like oh if if this game turns absolutely completely on its ear he can come in and and get a spark and we get a goal and win or something I it's just it, it looks bleak man I, I agree. I mean, I I guess the best we can hope for is for a speedy recovery for either Jack O'Connell or for, I mean, Basham's going to be out another few weeks and Egan's going to be out probably until the end of the season. So, yeah. I mean, who do you hope for on the as far yeah. as the back line? Jackie Longthrow? I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, just to name him on the bench in case somebody goes down because, hell, we need somebody to go in there. We're running. We'd be running out of defenders. Next thing you do, you start slotting midfielders back there, right? I mean, whew, if we do that, the end of the season can't come soon enough. Thank God this didn't happen like six games into the season, or we'd be we wouldn't have five points as total for the total of this season, right? 
right? But it further goes to illustrate how much Sheffield United have been a victim of circumstance this year where the injury bug just hit us hard. We had bad luck, bad VAR calls. I mean, the the list doesn't end, you know, it's it it, where anything can go wrong. It has. It has has gone wrong, you know, Murphy's Law, Murphy's Season. (laughs) Yeah. Title of episode right there. True, true. No, maybe the title of the episode will be a little bit more celebratory than that. But (laughs) Uh, anyway, Chad, what's your score prediction for our game against Southampton come this Saturday? I'm going, we're going to keep the streak going and we're going to win one nil. I don't know who's going to score or how we're going to score. Let's let's give the goal to a midfielder and let's say Lundstrom scores and we win one nil. But I have no, I'm just guessing at that, but. I wouldn't be surprised we we kept the streak going with this patchwork back line and we got some goal off of something fluky. Based on the run of form that we've been on, I'm going to go a goalless draw. I haven't said that all good. season. I'll That'd take a good. goalless draw against Southampton for sure. Yeah. So I think that's all the time that we have this episode of the Red Half of Sheffield. If you haven't done so already, please give us a follow on Facebook at the Red Half of Sheffield. We also have a Twitter page that you can follow at Red Sheffield. Chad, where can the people find you on social media? They can find me at Blades in the USA on Facebook and Twitter. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jarvis underscore 13. And you can follow me, Noah Snyder, on Twitter and Reddit at Nessman930. And you can follow me on Instagram at SunPuck. So until the weekend when we host Southampton, up the blades, Chad. Up the blades. Come on, you red and white wizards.